Do you watch football? Um, kind kind of. I know you're a basketball guy. I know you're an NBA guy. Uh, in, in foot, foot, uh, football. Um, like I in the, so the, like I I like the idea of of um you know like I'm gonna like boycott football because it's like killing people. Yeah. Um, and I can be all self righteous about it and say, well, I don't watch I don't watch football. Uh, the problem is that um, the main reason I don't watch football is because it's on in the middle of the night, and I find football of all the sports the least amenable to watching not live. Um, which is weird because if you watch it not live, you can watch it in like thirty minutes, right? Um, but and because I know uh, when I came to Taiwan the first time, I, like there weren't really any streaming things; it was much more difficult to do then. Uh, and then when I went back for four years, uh, I was right back, right, right, right back on the couch on Sunday afternoons. So I know I'd be a, I'm, I'm kind of a big hypocrite about it. So I do watch some, I do watch it some. Um, I actually got the NFL package this year. But I'm terribly conflicted about it. But it's it's I mean, you know how it is. It's so compelling. So did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. I did. And did, were you able to watch it live? Yeah, I I, I have the the NFL streaming um, thing, which actually includes all the commercials and all that sort of stuff. So I was um, able to offer snide remarks uh, along with the rest of Twitter. I feel the same way about you. I, I forget if I've talked about this on the show before. I, I, I know I've linked to it, and I know Kotke has too, that it's like the NFL is so incredibly popular in the United States, and it's, if anything, more popular than it ever was, especially compared to other team sports. But yet it really does seem like the sport as we know it is completely doomed, ought to be doomed, and I, I do feel as a, like a semi-casual fan, somebody who doesn't really watch as many games as I used to, I do. I actually feel like a like a complicitness, like a guilt that this yep. the game as configured is you know literally killing people and and you know giving them and not just kill you know but then you know making the last years of their life absolutely miserable with this uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy CTE. In other words, though, long story short, for anybody who doesn't follow football, there is massive evidence. I mean, just overwhelming evidence, like smoking is bad for your lungs and gives you cancer evidence that playing football, um, even at like a high school level, even if you just play in high school and then never play again, but let alone if you go on to play college where people hit you harder and then go on to a pro career where bigger people hit you even harder for more years that the, the repeated hits to your head, um, end up causing terrible scarring uh, that your brain is not meant to have. And it causes, you know, depression and all sorts of other problems. Um, it's a, it's a really nasty, nasty degenerative brain disease. And if it, it really seems like it's, you know, it's just unbelievable how many former pro football players have it. Right. And, and that's, that's the thing that, um, it's easy to say, well, these guys know what they're doing. They're getting paid millions of dollars. That's the trade off they make. But the problem is that, Oh, you know, like any pro sport, only a very small fraction of, people playing actually you know make money from it uh and when you you know basically start banging your head from the time you're a kid on uh that's you know there, there's a lot of people that aren't that aren't winning that trade-off to say yeah. the least um and there were a couple of concussions in the super bowl i'm reading an article here that says uh panthers wide receiver Corey brown suffered concussion and Broncos linebacker Shaquille Barrett. I forget his name. I thought number 88 for the Broncos clearly had a concussion. He got like his clock cleaned in an early play, 
And then later, like the next time he ran a route, he just fell, <laughs> fell down. I hate to laugh, but it really, I don't know. It, it, and then just to have the word concussion mentioned during the game, you just know that the NFL, there's somebody at the NFL was like, ah, oh, I was really hoping to get through this game without that word coming up. Yep. Well, it, it, and it's not just, I mean, that's the serious one, but I mean, there's also, I mean, what, what these people, what these guys are doing to their, to their bodies. I mean, you have, <laughs> I mean, like, what was it? Ben, Ben Roethlisberger in the playoffs dislocated his throwing arm and somehow managed to come in, uh, you know, a few series later in play. Right. Um, you know, just, just, I, I don't think it magically healed itself in the meantime. Uh, you know, there was like some horse tranquilizers being used or something like that. I mean, who knows what these guys are shooting themselves up with for for our our entertainment. Um, and yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's one of those things that it's it's hard to think a lot about. My theory, and I've said, I think I've written this on Daring Far, but my theory is that the way the long term way out is for football to evolve into a more basketball like game that is mostly. Uh, you know, more or less like professional flag football, but it's mostly like quarterbacks and wide receivers and athletic passing plays and defensive guys, you know, who can counter that. Um, but I, f- cause I feel like that's the part of the game that I like best. I love the passing game and I love, you know, some of the just incredible athleticism of, you know, catching a ball at full speed while you're running 50 yards down a field. But I feel like there's way, way too much of the popularity is tied up in the gladi gladiatorial aspect of the the violence you know that yeah. i say this and i might enjoy watching that game and i like watching basketball but that the reason the sport is so popular has I, way too much to do with the actual brutal violence yeah i think that whether well, that's part of it too and the other thing too is i think part of what makes football so compelling is um is like it really is such a strategic sort of game tied yeah. into, you know, so much violence. And and part of that strategy is very much a sort of war of attrition aspect. Yeah. Like you, you like you do stuff in the first quarter, like you you run plays that achieve no gain uh, in part to with the pur- express purpose of wearing down the defense so that you can, you know, pull off those plays, you know, later in the game. And like just the I mean, the fundamental nature of it is so tied into you know, like getting a physical advantage uh, that, yeah, it, it's, I mean, and the other thing too is, is the trend, I, I, what you say makes sense intellectually, but the actual trend of the game is, yes, has, right. has guys getting bigger and stronger and, fa- and faster and hitting. hitting right. I, I fully acknowledge the wishful, wishful thinking aspect of my make it more like flag football and a basketball type athletic game. I fully acknowledge that it really contrasts and is in the opposite direction of what is actually going on with the league. What did they say? They, uh, one of the most interesting stats. So there was, they were making a big celebration about the fact that this was super bowl 50 and it's a nice round number. Um, Cam Newton, the quarterback for the uh, Carolina Panthers is six, five and 245 pounds. He he's bigger than every single player who was on the championship Green Bay Packers team from Super Bowl one. That's crazy. <laughs> the quarterback, <laughs> the quarterback was bigger than everybody on a legendary, legendarily great and and sort of rough and tough, big you know run it you know three yards in a cloud of dust. Uh, Green Bay Packers team, kind oh. of unbelievable. 
Yeah, it is unbelievable. Yeah, I thought, and and again, I think part of what makes football so appealing too is that the strategy is is very easily apparent to the lay lay person fan. That specific tactics aren't right, like the exact right. nature of what the precision of the play and the complexity of a given play is. You know, obviously, it's, it's if you've ever seen like the size of an NFL playbook. Although I guess now they're all the size of a Surface tablet, but back when they were in a you you are on brand. <laughs> Back when they were in a binder, they were just like phone book sized. But the you know the there it's complex tactics and very simple strategy. And I thought the Super Bowl really this Super Bowl was a perfect example of it. Yep. Yeah. No. It, it's. Uh, I mean, we're we're we're. we're <laughs> I don't know if this is better or worse than baseball, baseball talk. But um, it's. it's oh, you got to talk about the Super Bowl. Yeah. No. It, it was. Um. You know. I. I I'm so. I'm so. It, it's it's so one of those things. I mean, it, it's a perfect example of, um, you know, it, it it's a reminder of about standing in judgment on everyone about uh, on anything to anyone yeah. because I'm there's no question I'm a total hypocrite. Um, and I like to say I'm less of a hypocrite because I don't watch that many games or something like that. But then actually, that's just a matter of circumstance. If I'm being honest with myself, yeah. If you want to think about it, here's the long term. The long term pessimist strategy about the NFL and football in general. The NFL from the top down at the professional level is a. They're very successful. They're and they're very effective. You know, like in terms of PR, and they have good lawyers. I mean, I mean, they've effectively their lawyers are so good. They've gotten everybody who doesn't pay them a fortune to refer to the game as the big game instead of the Super Bowl. Because I know that was crazy it's it's absolutely nuts how bad or not bad but how effective they are at, at having gotten rid of anybody using those the, the two words super bowl without paying them um and it just shows how unbelievable the brand is for the super bowl that they want to do that right like most like the nba i don't think the nba finals is so uh or, or the world series is anywhere near as as litigious about that because they want people talking about the world series or they want people talking about the finals Whereas the Super Bowl, the NFL is like, we know you're talking about the Super Bowl, so you're going to pay us for those words. Um, no, I think it's from the bottom up where the game collapses, which is that uh, high schools and youth leagues are going to start getting sued more and more. Uh, and I feel like lawyers and insurance companies are going to start telling. I don't know if this is like a next few years thing or if it's a 10 years from now thing, but I think it's absolutely within the next 15 years that you know, insurance companies are going to start telling schools, we, we, you, you can't have a football team. Yep. And um, more and more, even without that, I think you've got more and more parents who are saying to their athletic children, and let's just face it, quite frankly, their sons. I mean, there's obviously, you know, there's a few girls who play here and there, but it's usually quite notable, you know, um, you can't play football, you know, you're going to play soccer in the fall and basketball in the winter and, you can play baseball in the spring, but you're not playing football. Um, and I think with good reason. I don't. I don't think I would let my kid play. Um, in fact, I know I wouldn't. Definitely wouldn't let him play football. Um, and I think it's yep. going to happen more and more. And you start hearing it now from football players. Like Troy Aikman has said, he wouldn't let his kids play football. Um, and once that starts happening, and fewer and fewer athletic kids even play football. The kids who are who are the extraordinary athletes who might go pro are going to end up in different leagues. You know, they're going to end up pitching in baseball or playing basketball. Um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll finally have a have a good U.S. soccer team. I mean, not that we haven't had a good team, but you know, yeah. if we get if we get the 
the, the, the best athletes. Um, right. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board with that. The other thing, too, is because the, the football is such a American sport, like unlike baseball has lost a lot of particularly in like the inner cities uh, and certain parts of the country. Baseball has really fallen off. But it's been um, from Latin America in particular, there's been a, a huge influx of talent that right. is that is really, you know, picked up, picked up the pace. But football is not going to have that. Um, right. And so once once it loses the, the American pipeline, uh, that's that's the only pipeline. Yeah, I, I think the long term path is that it devolves into a, a regional sport in the U.S. South. Yep. Curious how no, it plays out. It, 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 it's it's um. I mean, it, it is ama- amazing how popular and pervasive it is. I mean, even on something like you know, like the tech circles that we we tend to you know, live in and circulate in. I mean, there's a lot of football fans, far more than than basketball or, or baseball or, or, or any other sport. You know, every Sunday, you know, even if you only follow tech people on Twitter and, you know, all the people who are going to complain about this podcast, you know, are, I'm sure are are grimacing because they know exactly what I'm talking about. But it, everyone's talking about the, the play and, and, and what's going on. Uh, it's it's really quite remarkable. I still think, but and the Super Bowl just has this weird gravity. I mean, it really does. And I know it's corny and it's almost a cliche that people say, well, I'll just watch it for the commercials. But it's true. And because people have parties, you know, I mean, somebody says, hey, come over to my house. I'm having a dozen people over. We're going to have, you know, uh, you know, big platters of food and lots of beer. Uh, people come over. And if you're not really into the game, you take your bathroom breaks when the game comes back on, you know. Yep. Boy, a lot, no, of the, I, a lot of those commercials this year were awful. <laughs> I don't know if you got the same commercials that we did. In no, I did. I got all the same commercials. No, they, I mean, I think they they're usually always awful. It's it's this weird sort of um, every year it's the worst year ever. Um, and then, but it's just one one of those things. <laughs> the one that stuck out to me the most was uh, the one <laughs> for diarrhea medicine, where the the star of the commercial was a walking human bowel. Abdominal pain. <laughs> yes. They made a CGI human bowel with eyes and little legs, and he's at the game, <laughs> and he's he's got diarrhea, and the line to the bathroom is too long, and now he doesn't know what to do because he's about to. <laughs> well, he doesn't have pants, so he's not gonna he's not gonna <laughs> shit his pants. I guess <laughs> he's just gonna go all over the floor. Like where well, are they? Funny. Well, what made it even funnier is that was the second uh, that was the second bowel that, movement related yeah, commercial right. in the game. There was already one for constipation in the first half. Right, they had a constipation one in the first half. With, the, then, guy, with the guy walking around watching people poop, like he saw a dog pooping on the street and right. he felt very whimsical. If you need an opioid to manage your chronic pain, you may be so constipated. It feels like everyone can go, except you. And he was jealous. No, he was. It was like a dog was enjoying a nice, a nice, a nice dropping. It's like I, I used to be like that. He's like, it's like, a, yeah. like some some old man watching the youngins. Right. I remember when I could enjoy a nice crap. Boy, those were the days. It was not a good ad. Not a fun ad. Longing for a change? Have the conversation with your doctor about OIC and ask about prescription treatment options. I don't know, like, you know, and it just followed right up by just, you know, here's some kids having fun with a Coke. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) The real one. So uh, speaking of the Super Bowl, the other tie-in to to our usual beat 
is uh, Tim Cook was at the Super Bowl. And do you, I'm sure you saw this, right? The, <laughs> the photo. <laughs> the, so <laughs> the game is over. I guess he had really good seats. It looked like he had like sideline seats. You know, I uh, know he was in a box because I saw some photos later. But uh, it looks like so he- the the photo. So what happened is the game is over. Tim Cook decides to tweet congrats to the the championship Denver Broncos, and he took a picture of like the celebration on the field, like fireworks going off, and. And, you know, the on, I don't know how that happens, but like at the Super Bowl, when the game is over, there's seemingly like 1500 people who storm the field. Uh, so it's right. pandemonium on the field. Um, and he posts a photo to Twitter and it's, you know, it's not a great photo. It's dark and it's blurry. And I mean, dark meaning like it's nighttime there and there was, they turned the lights down so you could see the fireworks. And so there's camera blur because it's, you know, there's not enough light to take a sharp picture. Um, it, I, you know, and then, and then he got excoriated on Twitter. It seemed like, you know, and, and people in the press were picking up on writing stories that Tim Cook took a terrible photo at the Super Bowl. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was, there was, uh, you know, perfectly fine reasons for it to be blurry. I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty hilarious. Uh, the the Verge, like Casey Newton at the Verge, had a funny post talking about people being mean, mean to, mean to Tim Cook, and I think he just used an excuse for his opening paragraph, which was hilarious and super mean. Um, but I mean, whatever. If you're if you're if you're the uh, if you're Tim Cook, um, I think you you can deal. <laughs> You'll be okay. So he, but he ended up deleting the tweet, right? And then he posted a much better picture a few minutes later. Um, but people still uh, were making jokes. I guess the joke that everyone wanted to make was they were sticking his photo, his blurry, sort of slightly up, not quite squared up photo, into uh, a shot with iPhone yeah. 6 billboards. Yes. That, yes. That, that's exactly it. I got an email. Here's an actual, actual email from an actual, uh, an actual reader. I will not mention his name. No subject, of course. This is the entire email I got from a daring fireball reader. Not a word about the shitty photo. You are a pig. (laughs) Doesn't even mention Tim Cook. That's the whole email. Not a word about the shitty photo. Return, return. You are a pig. So I just wrote back to him and said, your message made my day. Thank you. That was that was graceful of you. I like to pretend when I get an email like that, I like to pretend that I just answer every email as though it's, I love your website and it's the best thing I've read all day. It's my first (laughs) thing I read every day. And that's exactly how I write back (laughs) to the people who write something like that. I thought that it, I wonder what happened. I kind of, I like the idea that, that Tim Cook sometimes tweets like that, just like a normal person. Right. Like, you know, he's excited. He's a sports fan. He's at the Super Bowl. Uh, He takes a picture. He's not a professional photographer. Whatever. However much you want to praise the iPhone six. I I don't know what he's probably. What do you think he is? A six X? You think he's a plus guy? Uh, No idea. I wonder. Well, it's a 50-50 chance he's either got the 6S or the 6S Plus. If he had the Plus. Well, probably the 6 because it doesn't have the stabilization. Right. Maybe that's what he, maybe he needs the image stabilization. But exactly. either way, even with the image stabilization, as fine as a camera as it is and arguably, easily arguably the best of any cell phone and inarguably among the best of any phone, uh, I think that's fair to say. 
it is going to struggle in certain lighting conditions and the, and on the field at the Super Bowl is certainly after the game at nighttime is certainly one of them. Um, I thought it it I thought that there was a tangible realness to it. And no, this is not the type of photo you're going to put on a billboard is shot with iPhone six. But it. The photo itself wasn't great, but I thought that the whole hell, even the CEO of Apple takes tweets after an exciting thing like this is was an interesting angle, you know, and it makes. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think I, I, he shouldn't have deleted it like he should have like it, it could have been a, a hilarious like segue in like the next Apple presentation or something. Yes, like that. yes. Um, like own it, let it play out. And then and then uh, and then you could, you know, you can make a joke about it in a subsequent event. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. I mean, like people that's like that's what Twitter does. Twitter. Twitter is um, run on snark. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> can't quite pay the bills with snark yet anyway. Um, but uh, I but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's people are going to make fun of it. That's what people do. And I, I, I think the the real mistake was was in was in deleting it. And and then you just look. Yeah, because then it reinforces it, it it takes away the credibility from things you say in the future. Like if you do something like that, like you said, it makes you look real, makes you look human. We've all taken crappy photos, um, and and you know, there's a benefit to to a long term benefit, even if it's very slight, to being a regular guy and not being a you know feeling like everything is run through PR and control and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I would like to you know avoid. Or I feel like the collect that collectively and we can't I can't nobody's going to listen to me just because I'm saying it on the show. Uh, And I'm not saying, you know, poor Tim Cook can't take it. But I just feel like collectively Twitter's group behavior forces people in higher profiles to be as guarded on Twitter as they are anywhere else. You know, whereas Twitter could be a place where, you know, somebody like the CEO of the biggest company in the world could uh, have a little fun, but it's like, yeah, it's like we have to ruin everything. And it's like, yep. I'm sorry. And I'm not trying to make excuses for it just cause it's an iPhone. And I, I mean, it was not a great photo, but it wasn't horrible. It wasn't like ridiculous. And if you don't understand that that's a tough condition to get a photo, I, I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, there is a, um, uh, yeah. I mean, it, this is this is one of those things where, uh, people you know people like yeah people like to be outraged and they like to they like to make a big deal out of stuff that that probably really isn't that big a deal, and and I think there's there's a sense particularly for someone like Tim Cook or anyone that has relatively high profile like there there's a there's a de um, dehumanization that kind of occurs to it. And again, I, I don't think that I don't think that Tim Cook was was losing sleep uh because people were making fun of his photo. But you know, it's like it, unfortunately that's just the reality of of being a public forum. And I think this is, you know, it's a real this is a real a real challenge for Twitter. I mean beyond Twitter's all all, all of other Twitter's problems. But like, is this it's the 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 virtue is being public. The virtue is the fact you can connect and talk to anyone. Right. And that is the downside in spades right uh how long after he posted that tweet do you think his phone jingled and he looks down <laughs> and, it, and it says steve dowling 
<laughs> what are you? Yeah, you totally you could totally envision how this happened, right? So he was. I think he was in the box. He's down in the field. It's very like I'm sure it's very exciting. There's stuff moving around. Takes a picture. He probably just posted with barely even looking at it. Um, and he has like a. Uh, it's darn it. Without ever having been even I've never been in this stadium for a Super Bowl, but just watching on TV, which I think almost makes it seem more sane because like they have cameras that are high up that are that are stable and the cameramen on the field are truly, truly amazing professional photographers that it it's controlled, barely controlled pandemonium, you know, with no not not overstating it. And <laughs> you just know that like 10 minutes later, Dowling had a column. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet it was a tough call. I bet it was like, yeah, you know, I bet it wasn't like a clear cut call. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, I don't know. I thought it was funny. I, I just wish he should have owned it. Like he should yeah. like it, it, it would have made a hilarious like, I mean, as hilarious as such things can be. Right. But sort of like 10 second interlude at the at WWDC or something. Yeah. Like we're or, or the next iPhone introduction, you know, like we're we're or the 5SC or whatever comes with. Right. X amount of camera. Good Lord, do I need it? You know what I mean? <laughs> I think the problem is that, and maybe the problem is that the timing doesn't work because new iPhones aren't going to come till September and they have at least two events between now and then and then it'll be old news by September. Well, whatever. You could still... Right. I, I, it, would be, it would be perfect if they had like new high-end, you know, uh, phones coming next month. It would be yeah. perfect. It would almost yeah. would have been suspicious that they planned it, right? People would be, you know, all of a sudden it would be the, uh, you know... Uh, the the conspiracy theories have come out that they faked it on purpose. <laughs> rubbed rubbed they rubbed uh, uh, you know rubbed some kind of uh, grease all over the camera lens. Yeah, so you saw this photo. I actually took two. Here's the one I took with the new iPhone Seven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, let me take a break and thank our first sponsor. It is our good friends at Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and you enter the offer code Gruber. That's my last name. When you check out, if you're buying and you get 10% off. Now, your needs vary. That's why Squarespace recently launched three new website products, each catered to the needs of different creative people. Now, one of them is cover pages. This is a single-page website that is perfect for when your idea is just starting out. And there's an awful lot. It's a great way. It's a, just a, I've seen this a lot. It's a big trend for new things, things that are just coming out, things you want to unveil. Um, just do it in one page, right? You do one big page. You got big artwork at the top. You explain your main points next, and then you can get into details as you scroll down the page. Well, that's what cover pages are in Squarespace. They make it really, really easy to set that up. Do you have something to sell? You have products to sell? Squarespace Commerce is robust enough to be both uh, an online storefront and your business manager for tracking inventory and sales and the numbers and stuff like that. Um, for something in between, Squarespace websites provide beautiful, versatile templates and a really wide variety of templates. Almost, It's almost staggering to me. I, if you haven't looked at Squarespace in a while, go check them out and, and just check out just the, the incredible variety of starting points that you can start from. Um, they've got all these templates and they help you create the online home that you have always wanted. Uh, which product is right for you, go check them out. It's very obvious. They steer you right through it. Uh, and remember, you get a free trial just by going to squarespace.com. Um, if you go to squarespace.com, 
slash the talk show. They'll know you came from from here, from this podcast. Um, but the important thing to remember is that uh, the offer code Gruber for 10% off your first order. Now, you got to remember that. Here's the deal. I'm asking a little bit of a favor for any of you out there who are going to do it because you can start this free trial. You don't have to pay for anything. It's 30 days later when the free trial's up and you're hooked and you're like, this is it for me. That's when you go to pay. Use that offer code, Gruber. Just remember it, my last name. They don't change it up much because I think they realize that there's, you know, hell, by the time your free trial's over, they might even sponsor another episode of the show. So anyway, my thanks to Squarespace. All right, that's a good segue to uh, talking about Twitter, right? Yes. So we went from the Super Bowl to Tim. This could be a very seamless show. This could, <laughs> this could be a bunch of good segues. Let's see if we can keep it going. Super Bowl, Tim Cook at the Super Bowl <laughs> and his tweet that he that he deleted. Uh, also, by the way, the second one he posted, the photo was beautiful. It was a really right. good photo. Um, now let's talk about Twitter. And you you had a good piece. Uh, I think it just went up yesterday as we record. Yes. Uh, it's been up for about 24 hours or so. Um, I don't want to paraphrase too much, but the gist of it being, uh, you quoted a thing that I wrote that, and I've said this before, I've said this many times, that the thing that really is unfair to Twitter and hurts Twitter is that they're compared to Facebook, uh, maybe mostly by like the sort of Wall Street perspective. Uh, and they measure, they come up short and as time goes on, they're coming up shorter and shorter because Facebook is killing it and Twitter is sort of spinning its wheels. Um, and it, it's unfair to Twitter because Twitter has an amazing thing. It just happens to be this amazing thing that seemingly naturally is way smaller than Facebook. And your argument is be that as it may, they're screwed. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the real problem with, for them and, and for, for any company is, you know, that they're, they're, the, the business model. I mean, Twitter made a choice uh, to be a ad supported business, and that choice has certain you know certain implications to it. Um, what basically, you, you, if you're an ad supported business, you either have to have these uh, extremely high performing ads that convert, like Google, or you need to have a massive audience that you're very good at targeting. Um, you know, more, more like a Facebook sort of thing. And Twitter doesn't, doesn't really have either. And, and so the, the big problem is that yes, from a user perspective to use Facebook and to use Twitter are, are, are different experiences, but they're competing for the same customer where by customer, I mean the same advertiser and the same advertising dollars. And, and that's, that, that's a problem because why, if you're an advertiser and you have limited, not just money, but limited time, like there's, there's a time component too. Twitter wants their custom ad campaigns. Facebook wants their custom ad campaigns. Google wants their custom ad campaigns. Pinterest wants their custom ad campaigns. You know, Snapchat, all these sorts of things. And yes, there is a shift in money from, you know, other forms of media to digital. But where are you going to spend your time, particularly when uh, you can get pretty much the same audience with better data, better targeting, better tracking, and they have enough inventory to satisfy all your needs on, on Facebook. What, what's the point of even spending money on, on Twitter? And so the, it, that's, just, that's just a problem, and it's a problem from a long-term sustainability perspective, and it's a problem from a – absolutely from a stock perspective. I mean there's – Twitter's stock is down massively um, from its highs and even from, from its IPO price – in part because it, you know, that 
investors are are rightly in my estimation losing faith that there's any sort of real growth story for Twitter. I mean, a company that is more than 10 years old and has yet to turn a profit. Right. Um, and it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I mean, it's like the, the thing with Twitter is uh, there, I think, I mean, back, back when Twitter made this decision, there was still kind of the sense that, you know, at, of course, all consumer services will be ad supported. And uh, and I, I actually think that's in, it's increasingly questionable the degree that's going to be the point. I mean, face, because Facebook and Google are so dominant, and the big difference is you know they have so much inventory, like they can soak up you know so much so much of the spend. Uh, so if you have a better product and all, all the inventory there, why are you going to go anywhere else? Um, Twitter, like Twitter's, the, the format of Twitter is isn't as as great for advertising. What is Twitter good at? Twitter is good at data. Twitter has real-time data. And the idea was the data they have about users uh, who are building an interest graph as opposed to a, a social graph, uh, that would make the potential for targeting you know, much more interesting and attractive. You know, The flip side is the way you get a good interest graph is by going through the hard work of building a Twitter feed, which is really difficult and is a big problem. They didn't get new users. Um, but that data, the data that happens on Twitter, the fact that Twitter is so central to things like the Super Bowl and things that are going on and you can get real-time understanding of what's happening and what's, what's pulsing and what's trending, uh, it's, it's too bad they didn't explore a business model built around exploiting that. Yeah, same thing for me last night as a, as a political junkie, U.S. national political junkie at least, watching last night as we record it to the day after the New Hampshire primary, um, which wasn't all that exciting. I mean, it was kind of, this is, that was one that came out sort of as the the polls got it exactly right. But as a political junkie, I'm still watching, you know, I'm watching MSNBC. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm that second screen guy. It's a, it's a, you know, and I'm at the point now where I can't even remember watching as a political junkie, watching something like, um, uh, the returns on an election or a primary election without Twitter, because one of the things that always made it frustrating to me as a news junkie is that the news on an election night doesn't come in fast enough. The news doesn't come in. And so they just right. fill it with the punditry. But because the, there's not much news coming in, they're just going to multiple people to sort of say the same thing. Right. And it doesn't go fast enough to satisfy my uh, attention addled brain. Right. And so Twitter fills that in because all of a sudden that's where, you know, somebody will come up with something that's actually an interesting observation or a funny joke or something. The snark we referred to earlier. Yeah. Well, I think Twitter in Twitter, it's funny you mentioned in the, in the context of politics. I think the problem for Twitter and the challenge for Twitter is actually uh, kind of similar to the problem faced by news in general. I mean, news is very valuable and it's also worthless. Because right. it's fish wrap, literally. I mean, that's it's it's an old joke if you ever worked in the newspaper industry. But to, today's news is tomorrow's fish wrap. That's exactly it. And but the problem now is today's tweet. It, like w- Twitter's so valuable because someone can break a story with a tweet, right? But like all, ev- the the tweet is then worthless, or and and or the the news in the tweet is then worthless, right? It's like you, it's out there. Like there's there's no there's no value it's a it's it's a public good now it can't it can't be it can't be captured uh and 
that's kind of the case for Twitter. I mean, Twitter, I mean, it's almost impossible to read a news story about lots of things without there being an embedded tweet, for example. Right. Uh, but, but that doesn't make it worth something, at least from a traditional sort of advertising perspective where Twitter has to keep all the eyeballs and, and, and that sort of thing going on. Like, yes, you, you can recognize that Twitter is essential and appreciate the fact that Twitter can be essential for you know someone who doesn't use Twitter because they're going to find out about what happened on Twitter immediately anyways you know through 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 some other channel or through through a web page they read um and and uh, you almost have to think like the model that might have worked for Twitter and uh, it would is you know what's the most successful news company arguably it's something like Bloomberg right where yeah. where they they actually the news is a means to sell a physical product. Uh, and the physical product is in part about utility. It's in part about status. It's in part about the the internal social network that Bloomberg terminals have and, and that all of Wall Street uses to talk to each other. Um, and that is something that – like that sort of model, a, a platform model but a, a different kind of platform model – not an advertising platform model, is something that might have made sense for Twitter, but this is where you get back to the fact that Twitter didn't even start, t- Twitter spent so long, so many years at the beginning, not developing the product, not developing monetization, but basically trying to kill each other. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, metaphorically speaking. I still feel like institutionally there is a uncertainty as to what the hell Twitter is. I, yeah. I and I and it hasn't it, they had it when they came out. When they came out in 2006 or I don't know if there was something in 2005, but 2006 is when I signed up. There was a clear idea of what it was or what it was supposed to be. And it obviously evolved over the years. Like what they're I'm not saying they should go back to the original idea. I mean, they didn't even have things like at replies. There was all this stuff that came out of user behavior. The whole the original idea was tell people what you're up to. It was I think in an elevator pitch, it was your AOL status at a a combined with the old Unix uh, finger, you know, right um, status. Right. (laughs) <laughs> do you remember that i mean i i better explain that for anybody who doesn't remember you know because you, know, you would people would would this was and this is an advantage um this was something oh, i can't remember, there's a there's a some anecdote around messaging services about why some won and some didn't but yeah people would would set their their i mean this is back when we were in college we were in college like set their their aol status uh that's that when was, you were that in college. Was, when I was in was college, when I was in yeah. college, you set your finger status. So right. when I was in college, well, I mean, I don't know when this fell apart, but you'd get like an account on a Unix, you know, machine, and that's where you'd go to check your email and stuff like that. But if you created an account in your home folder with the name dot finger, now the dot made it like a secret invisible file, so you wouldn't see it all the time. You would just put like where you are. Like if you were home for winter break and you weren't around, you could put it in there. And then if you wanted to check the status of somebody. Uh, you know, you would just say finger Ben at whatever school Ben goes to dot edu, and then it would read back your command. Now, now who's the idiot who named the command finger? I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe they knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> there, Maybe. There's there's actually a lot of stuff like this in like old tech sort of stuff that's just right. really questionable in retrospect. 
Right. The idea like is naming conventions and like, right. uh, yeah. The idea was that you're like poking a finger at him, like, what's he up to? And then you could just, you would just update your finger, you know, and that's what Twitter was. Twitter was like, what are you up to? What are you doing? And you would say, I'm eating a sandwich. I'm, you know, getting my first, uh, you know, coffee of the day. And then, well, it, and it evolved from there. Um, well, the thing, the thing, the, the the way that I always thought about it is, I mean, and, and the thing is, Twitter evolved really quickly. Like, uh, and actually, most of the core conventions of Twitter, like the at reply and, and the retweet and all that sort of stuff, were in the product within like a year to yeah. year and a half. And it basically, the product has not evolved since then. I think the one, the one real big addition was the was the real retweet, like where you could with the, not the manual retweet, right. like where you actually did it. Um, I think that was 2009 or something like that. But other than that, like the product would, the product figured it out pretty quickly. And the way I, the way I always characterized it, I, I wrote a piece about this like a little over a year ago, was this was actually a big problem for Twitter. And the reason it was a problem was, um, you know, they talk about like product market fit for companies, right? A, a company has to like, they, they have the idea for a product and it's not quite right, but they've got to figure out who their core customer is and then they get it right. And then like once you get that right, you get your product and, your mar- and you, you know your market and you have the right product for it, that's when you pour on the money you, and you scale and you get a bunch of customers, that sort of thing. But you have to get product market fit first. And almost the challenge for Twitter was the they the initial product was so was so powerful it was so good it, like they never had to go through that sort of struggle to figure out what it is it just took off and they and so they never had to go through that internal process of figuring out what their product is who their customer is like what it does it just happened and so the problem was it didn't happen perfectly enough to reach everyone like it, it was right. the utility was so good the twitter's always been hard to use like to get started, I mean, to get started from. But the utility was so good that all us geeks were more than happy to jump through all the hoops to figure out how to use it because the utility was so massive. But you get down to like what I call a marginal user, right? Where is it? Is the utility uh, that I might get from Twitter worth the cost it's going to take me to get up to it? And they hit that marginal user after a few hundred million and, and they just ground to a halt. Right, and don't you think that it's the case that it's just, too hard to guess and when you're inside and like like you work at twitter and you're therefore have a reason to be optimistic and you get it because you actually work there it's easy to maybe even lie to yourself a little bit that during that growth space space early on while the product is still evolving and there's clearly enthusiasm and you know you've got something electric on your hands that it's very unclear what how you know while the growth is going on how much growth there is ahead of you it's right it, and and i think that twitter guessed wrong i think a lot of investors guessed wrong um in terms of it being well, too optimistic well the thing too is i, I don't think uh, it, two, i would say two things one twitter's growth really uh it, it happened in 2009 where the growth just suddenly stopped mm-hmm. uh that was also the time where twitter was having massive technical problems mm-hmm. like the site could not stay up um, yeah, you know, people don't forget the fail whale. Actually, I have a fail whale clock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, the, so they, they had their hands full, basically rebuilding the service it, on the fly. It used to, you could count on it like clockwork that it would fail during an Apple event. Oh, well, it used to fail almost every day. I mean, that, that was an improvement when it only failed during big events. Well, you, you, there was a time where it was on the verge of complete collapse. Um, then there was a time where on a daily basis they were up, but something like an Apple event could make it yep. collapse, which is oh, totally, but which is, and again, for, 
me and you and the folks who listen to the talk show, yeah, that's a big deal. But compared to the Super Bowl or the Academy Awards or uh, an right. election night, that's nothing. Like, yeah. however much attention Apple gets compared to any other technical company, they don't get that much for a Tuesday morning at noon Eastern press event. And yet right. Twitter and, would just be you just and that was and so that that was a big reason why Dorsey got forced out the first time. And right. so they have they have management upheaval. They have the site barely staying up. They have to rebuild the whole thing from scratch. I mean, Twitter started out like being like a Ruby on Rails application. Right. Which is yeah. which is which is all well and good. But it's not it's not the framework you would choose to 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 handle, you know, hundreds of millions of tweets a second or whatever. Um, then uh, and so and that happened at the exact same moment they hit this marginal user. And so it was it, it was it was bad luck uh, from that perspective in that in that it happened at that time, um, and then uh, I don't know the point here what it was, but but they oh the other thing too is I don't think at that time if you were to tell someone in two thousand eight two thousand nine that a, a a user base of three hundred million users, uh, you know I, I question how how many of those are actual people using it, but even say it's a hundred million, hundred fifty million, you. It would be hard to tell someone back then that that would not be a big enough user base to have a, a an ad supported service. Yes, that's a very good point. Now, before I forget, because if I forget this point, I'm going to shoot myself and want to re-record the whole episode. Because I thought one of the most interesting things I read in your piece, and I knew this, I've known this before, I've read this before, but it's one of those facts that goes in one ear and out the other for me, and I think for a lot of other people. But I almost feel like the situation, this whole situation we're talking about with Twitter struggling, LinkedIn having some tough times, uh, and only Facebook and Google really thriving in this market where people previously foresaw, wow, lots and lots of companies could have this free with ad supported business and succeed, is the fact that very, very consistently over... I. I I'm not even sure you could tell me the time frame, but decades at least about 1.2% of GDP gets spent on advertising. Yep. It's, 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 it's amazingly consistent. Like, so there's a advertising goes down a recession. It goes down to, it goes down because GDP goes down. It, it's, it's amazing how consistent it is. Right. Advertising is, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a big shot on advertising, but I do run a business that's fundamentally based on advertising. I think that the nature of it, knock on wood, like even like 2008, you know, during Fireball actually did pretty well through the recession. Um, maybe because I'm a boutique, you know, publisher. Um, but there's absolutely no question that the adage that advertise in, a, in any kind of recession, advertising is the first thing to dry up. It is the first thing always because it's the first thing any company when they say we might need to tighten our spending it's advertising is always the first thing to go. Right. It's and then when times are flush, it is one of the first things to come rushing back where they're like, wow, we've got a little money to spend. Let's fuck, let's dump it in some ads and, and really accelerate what, you know, we've got something good going on right now. Let's spend some advertising to make it go even better. But it, yep. it's amazing that it's very, very consistent that it's like just a little over 1% of GDP, which means that, it's not necessarily that the pie can't grow, but the pie can only grow as the overall economy grows. Right. And it's there's no way to make that go. And I feel like a lot of the stories, I, I, I'm not even saying that I'm that I'm not wrong about it, that I didn't 
think I, I'm a little surprised at this situation right now where the only big companies that really seem to be thriving financially and growing are Facebook and Google. The only ones I, I don't think I would have foreseen that. But I think it makes some sense when you think of the fact that the ad spends is sort of a fixed amount of money and Facebook and Google are clearly growing and and they have they frankly have superior products. I mean, right. they they have the best targeting, especially Facebook. I mean, um, you know, Facebook is growing much faster than Google is, uh, particularly particularly on mobile, and all their growth is on mobile. Uh, they have superior targeting. They have a superior ad placement. Like, of people don't appreciate like a Facebook ad literally takes over the entire screen of your phone. Like maybe only for a split second or whatever, but like it's the most immersive ad we've come up with in tech. It, it, I mean, beyond like the pre-roll on a video, but that a pre-roll on a video is kind of annoying, right? That's getting right. in our way. Whereas we're willingly, uh, you know, not you since you're on Facebook, but um, we're but willingly it, immersing ourselves in this feed and, and just scrolling through it. And the feed is so clear. Like they, that's why it works so well for Daring Fireball, right? I mean, you, right. I, I always give you credit for actually being a real pioneer when it comes to this sort of native, native advertising. Feed-based advertising is is the advertising that works on mobile. It, I came up with it before native advertising was a word. <laughs> I know you did. And, and it, it's like, it is the ad format that works. Like every, every t- time there's a new, a new sort of medium, uh, it, it takes time to figure out the ads that work, right? The right. initial like TV ads were people reading radio scripts, right? They, right? they had to figure out, no, you should actually, TV is for scripted drama. So how about we do a 30 second scripted drama? Exactly. Right. And, right. and, and make and a little 30, the best ads are always little 30 second shows. Right, exactly. And, and so we, <laughs> when we started out, it is, you see it when we started out with web pages, we're just like plastering on these banner ads because that's kind of what we do with, with newspapers, right? right? And who better Which to- is a ter- who better to be the protagonist of your little story than a, a bowel? <laughs> we are. This is a very. This is a very tightly. We're putting a putting a real bow. An on. anthropomorphic human bowel infected yes. with diarrhea. <laughs> There's a um, lovable character. No, but you're right. You've got to find. And sometimes it's natural, and sometimes it's not. And they always try to cram the last one onto the new. Um, I mean, right. that's what banner, so banner ads were. Banner ads were, were basically lifting newspaper type advertising and putting it on the web. And it was dumb. It made no sense. Uh, well, especially it made and, no sense because if you think about it, I would say it's a little bit more like magazines than newspapers. First thing, just because the shape of the rectangle is a little bit, the rectangle of a web page is a little bit more like a magazine, especially in the 90s when the format was invented and screens were smaller. It was a little bit more like a magazine. It's but magazines and newspapers are kind of two sides of the same coin when it comes to advertising um, formats, right? There's a whole page ads, but the banner ads were like the ads in the back of the magazine, right? Right. The you know little shapes of rectangles with content flowing around them. The in 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 magazines and newspapers, I mean they they. The, the ones that made all the money were the full page ads, right? The back page well, ads. Right. It, it was more, if you think of a magazine in particular, and you think of like the classic examples, like fashion magazine, that sort of thing, it, it actually is more like a feed if you think about it, right? Because you're, you're, you're not jumping around like you flip through those, right? Yeah, and, it's exactly, and, it, it's very analogous to like an Instagram feed. Exactly. And this is why, right. this is why I, I, I've always been um, a, I think native advertising got a really bad rap because of some really egregious examples of people like, you know, 
being, you know, abusing it and doing dumb stuff. Advertorials, right? Things that were were written to sort of conflate what was actually the content of uh, the publication and the, this thing that was written by a sponsor. I mean, famously, those have always been terrible, right? On, on all formats, right? But that doesn't mean the idea of having an ad that is a similar of a similar type to the content that is around it is a bad thing. That's that's how effective advertising has always been. I mean, no one's up in arms because you flip through a fashion magazine and on one page there's there's editorial, on the next page there's uh, you know an, an ad like that, that. That's a good thing. Same 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 with TV. I mean, yes, you may be annoyed by it, but no one is like up in ethical arms because uh, oh my gosh, they also scripted this television commercial. I mean, like that's that's just the way. That's just the way it is. And, I, and the feed is, is really the key to digital advertising. You immerse yourself in it. You go through it. The problem is how – this is why it works for Daring Fireball. People go to Daring Fireball, right? Yeah. Your percentage of people who go straight to the homepage, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's much higher than the vast majority of websites who are getting their traffic through social or, or other, through other feeds basically. And I think that's the real key to making advertising work is you have to own a – destination that people go to and willingly immerse themselves in that feed they scroll through they read your 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 advertisements just like they read your other pieces so they're actually consuming them and they're habituated to click on the link and follow through and uh and that's the advertising that works the problem is uh, particularly on mobile uh people where do people start like they, they 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 start on twitter and this is why twitter still has potential uh, but the vast majority of people, the vast, vast, vast majority of people start on Facebook. That that's that's the app they open when they're doing nothing. And the other thing too is is advertising works best when you're not doing something, right? right? If if I'm sitting down to do a job or to accomplish something, I'm focused and I don't want to be distracted. That's why I think uh, the pre the pre roll ads on videos I think is is going to turn out to be less effective a format than people had hoped they would be. I mean, it's video, so it's going to be effective, but it's an interruption, which no, no, you, it puts you in a bad mood. It does. Um, it always does. And it often, I often stop and yeah, uh, you just close the tab. I, and especially, and I know uh, my tolerance for it has grown slightly like, but the ones when they make you say you have to watch the whole 30, then it's instant close. I don't care what it is. I, I don't know that. Oh. Uh, maybe like once or twice a month, I'll wait through the whole thirty because it really seems like something I have to see, but it it doesn't. And um, when I can st- skip it after three seconds, I skip it every time. I can yep. maybe remember once in this like the last two or three months where there was something that was so compelling. There was I, I don't remember. I'll never remember this bit, but there was like there was a YouTube ad the one time, and I could have skipped it within three seconds, but I was instantly like, "Oh, I've got to see this," and it was really pretty clever. And I was like, "Wow, that was that was well done." Right, but but yeah, no, I mean, no one started a TV show with the advertising at the beginning, right? right. It was always it would be in the middle, right? You'd have the cliffhanger, and then it'd yeah. go to commercial, and then you'd you know, stick you know, around and go back. you know who has great pre rolls? Geico. Geico has a series of pre rolls that that are. Uh, the gist of it is this 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 ad's going to be this ad for Geico is going to be over before you can even skip it, and right? They just they just buy like a four second spot. No, I think that's the, that 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 that's the that's the way to do it, right? Sure. And it really leaves leaves me with this incredibly. Uh, You're grateful to them for uh, not wasting your time, right? They didn't waste my time, and I think hey, that was pretty clever, you know. 
it's it's both I, they get a little bit of my gratitude and they get a little bit of my admiration for being clever. Yep. No, I, the, 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 yeah, I agree. Um, but but the, the thing what's so compelling about Facebook is, um, you know, I, I've I, I made this joke on, on my podcast Exponent, but like people don't schedule Facebook time, right? They don't put in their calendar. This is when I'm going to go check Facebook. Like they check Facebook when they're standing in line at the store or they're sitting on the couch or like whatever. Like it, it's it's found time. It's and and your posture is you're not doing anything. You're just kind of mindlessly going through it and. That sounds bad, but that's actually makes it an incredible advertising platform because your your mind's open. You're open to whatever is in your feed, right? And that's when advertisers, particularly brand advertisers that want to build sort of an affinity for their brand and a positive association, that's when they most want to reach you. And it, it makes – I mean that's what makes Facebook's market so incredible. It's not just there's so many devices out there. It's not that they have so many users. And it's not just that there's more time spent on mobile than other devices. It's the kind of time that is spent. Uh, and, and they have this feed and they have this great ad format. And frankly, if you're an advertiser, like why would you want to go you – know, why would you want to go anywhere else? And that's the challenge that everyone else you – know, and Facebook is still growing the user base and they're still – Facebook – Last quarter, and it, it sh- this shouldn't be able to happen, but it happened. They they got they got more users. Their users used the product more than they ever had before. They increased the ad load per user, so people were seeing more ads, and they increased the price charge per ad <laughs> because they're so effective. They can do that. Like they're 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 just this gargantuan monster that's going to eat all this stuff up and. And if you're LinkedIn and you want to you want to have your own ad network or your Yelp, you want to have display ads or or like like how can you compete? I don't know because advertisers don't care. Advertisers just want a return on their investment. And 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 so one, Facebook is providing the best returns and the best ads. But also, there's an investment standpoint. Facebook's offering an end-to-end product. You go in, you can do you can do a video ad on Instagram. Uh, anyone who sees it will show them ads in their Facebook feed that kind of reminds them of the product. And then if you have a promotion, you can have, you know, do certain things. You can follow up with Messenger. Like it's an end-to-end offering. So you could master the Facebook ad interface, get really good at it. And then why, like, oh, you really want to go create a custom ad for Pinterest? I mean, like it, it, there, there's, an, there's a, a degree of people are busy and why, should, why do they want to waste their time if they can just – their time's better spent spending more on Facebook or in Google. I mean, Google is obviously the other, the other one here. I think Google's less compelling on mobile generally, but they also Google has even better tools, advertising tools, like in an end to end offering from YouTube to double click to AdSense. Like it's all one interface. You can do one by doing it all at the same time. It's, it's very, very compelling. Yeah. Um, speaking of sponsorships, <laughs> let me take another break here. <laughs> And tell well, you. It's, it's so it's so it's so funny. Before I let's interrupt you right. because like the, I, I I so I'm someone's working with me. I'm finally trying to get my archives in order and like categorize them and stuff. And and she remarked that while you have a lot of posts about advertising, and I'm like, well, I mean, the whole premise of Checkery is to be about more about the business and strategy of tech. I don't really do product reviews and all that sort that sort of thing. Um, but that entails I talk a lot about advertising. It, it's kind of amazing how little people. Um, think about and talk about that side of it when it's so fundamental to the the experience of technology. I mean, um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure people probably get bored, but I find it fascinating. <laughs> uh, 
Um, <laughs> let me tell you about our good friends at Igloo. So Igloo is the intranet you'll actually like. This is a way, what is an intranet even? Just think about it. It's a website that is internal for you. That's the intra. You have a website for your team, your, your company. You go there and this is where you can communicate. You can share files. You can contact each other. You can have shared calendars, all this sort of stuff that you might want to do. And instead of having it spread across seven different products and different things you have to log into, uh, it's all in one place and it is configurable. So if you, uh, only need the micro blog and the calendar and the file sharing, that's all you really need. And you can set it up like that. Um, and you can have, you know, what's the micro blog. It's like a little like internal Twitter just for your team. Really, really clever. Uh, and their stuff, it's all in the web. It's all web-based. You don't have to host it yourself. They host it. It's private to you though. And it, everything works from phone tablet, uh, big, big desktop browser that spreads across your 27 inch iMac, whatever you want, it's going to look great. And they can help you keep doing your way better. You don't have to like work like with the Igloo system or whatever. Your team just keeps working the way it wants to work. Like you share your files the way you want to just Igloo is where you put them. It's a really, really, um, it, it's really just about making collaboration, not be painful. It's an internet you'll actually like. It's like a, it, they've embraced this word. It's 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 and like a lot of their advertising stuff and their talking points. You know, this whole internet you'll actually like is based on the fact that you most people work at a place where they have a quote unquote internet and it's this thing that people hate and that they try to work around. Uh, Igloo is like embracing the word and they're trying to like just flip it on its head because it's really really clever software, modern stuff that is really optimized for the way people want to work and making the people who use it happy, as opposed to having this thing that just makes like the IT guys happy um, for whatever reason that they chose whatever crappy internet are out there other than Igloo. So where do you go to find out more? It's easy. You go to igloosoftware.com/slash. TTS. The slash TTS is the talk show. Very, very easy to remember. Um, you can try it for free anyway. It doesn't even, it's not even like a special offer just because you're listening to the show. You can try it for free. But uh, go there, go to the slash TTS version though, and then they'll know you came from the show. My thanks to Igloo, longtime sponsors of the show with a great, great product that I know a lot of people who listen to the show are already using. So my thanks to them. The, it, the, it, I am. There is a degree of. Um, I mean, I, I've been right. One area I've been right about, about advertising is uh, from a publishing perspective. Just because I mean, publishers are <laughs> they're they're the least equipped. I mean, if if Twitter can't compete with Facebook, I mean, what chances like your your local newspaper have? Um, and so I've been you know writing for a few years now. There's going to be kind of a, a shakeout. You know, not just it's been happening in newspapers for a long time, but with digital first platforms as well. Um, and the hope is that in the long run, there's going to be figure out new ways of monetization, things that are, you know, things that work well. Well, it doesn't, um, in the long, in a, it just, I keep thinking about that. Like I said, I wanted to mention that 1.2% of spending thing and, and, and maybe that'll change in the future. Who knows? Maybe it'll go up, maybe it'll go down, but it's been consistent for so long that you've kind of got to count on it. And therefore go back to the nineties and the web is erupting. If there was any idea in your head that the web was going to get some amount of advertising money, then it was obviously going to come away from existing sources. 
And I think it was right. obvious that the most, you know, the most obvious place where it's going to come away from is newspapers. And if newspapers wanted to, to maintain any kind of, uh, even stagnation, let alone growth, but at least, you know, not deflate, they needed to immediately embrace it and make sure that they were selling as much money on advertising on the web as possible. And very, very few of them did. Right. Well, not just, yeah, well, it's hard. I mean, it, it's, it's easy to sit in, you know, armchair quarterback, but it's hard to really change your fundamental business, you know, particularly given the better rates they could always, they could always get for print. But I, I think one thing that's, that's potentially ex- exciting in the very long run and I, I always hesitate to use the word exciting because this is excitement that entails a lot of a lot of you know creative destruction along the way. With um, is it's always you know might there like Twitter would be better off today if they would have not pursued an ad based business model. Like if they would have figured out some way to because again they what they have is incredibly valuable. And I think the real danger for Twitter now, actually, this is kind of I've changed my tune a bit, is like they need to not lose what they have, right? Mm-hmm. They they need to be very careful. The big the big problem for Twitter is one uh, over a billion people or around a billion people have tried the product and left it, and it's really hard to get people to come back. Like it's much harder than getting them the first time. <laughs> it's an amazing number, right? It really is an amazing number. I mean, that's uh, incredible. Uh, so one. It's questionable if they can even get them back. But two, uh, Twitter is competing in a very different environment now. Whereas, you know, when Twitter was, Twitter came along right when the iPhone came along or or, a year before, and it really took off once there were like clients on the phone because it was such a perfect mobile product. Like, and it had the feed and it had, it was small, bite sized sort of stuff. You could dip in and dip out so easily. Uh, it, It just, it fit mobile so well. And there was a real opportunity where, People were forming habits. They were forming the way they interacted with these devices. And so it wasn't just when Twitter was competing for users in 2009, 2010, they were competing for that mobile habit. And today that people's habits are well established. Like and it's mostly Facebook and and Facebook is also now Facebook has expanded far beyond who, you know, like to what you're interested in. Facebook knows more about what you're interested in than than Twitter. Twitter does. Um, And like it's very legitimate to question like does Twitter is it really realistic to expect Twitter to ever grow its user base? And if it's not and I would contend it's not. uh then Twitter should actually be focused first and foremost on preserving its user base, which would argue against changes that are too extreme, would argue for addressing, you know, abuse issues and stuff like that that drive people away from the platform. Um, and uh, and I'm not sure that uh, Twitter Twitter agrees with that. And so I, th- it's a real danger for the company that they pursue an unobtainable goal and then lose what they have in, in right. the meantime. I kind of feel like even with Jack back at the helm, which I, I, I do feel like if anybody can fix it, it's him. But I do feel that there's just this inherent conflict between their internal ambitions and a realistic measure of what it could and should be. Yeah, and you also have to feel like you, at this point you almost have to kind of hope they get acquired. Um, you I, know, that's the, where the, I was going to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the they're a nice like um, you know 
they're like they're arguably still overvalued based on on on, on their potential revenue. Um, I'm not a stock analyst, but um, uh, they. But with you know, with under someone, someone else, if they could be free from that restraint, either one, build a new kind of business, or two, just be be part of a portfolio. Um, the pro- a big problem is you know, they're, they're, the only two acquirers that really make sense are are Google or Facebook, yeah. Um, who already have scale, already have all the infrastructure, could plug Twitter in. Um, go- the problem with Google is is Facebook is Twitter did this big deal with 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 Google to give them access to the tweet to the fire hose and. Integrate double click with their with their ad buying platform. So in many respects, Google already has everything from Twitter that they need. Mm-hmm. Like they don't necessarily need to buy them to get what they already have. Uh, I think the well, they, couldn't they the, just un- unplug the the fire plug though? Well, no, no. I mean, Twitter. No, Google is getting Google is ha, Google effectively has Twitter both from a product perspective and from an advertising perspective because Twitter, like Twitter, is building in this 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 deep. Double clicking uh, um, integration, you know, integration, and so you can uh, you use your double click data and buy in all sorts of stuff. Um, um, so Facebook, I think Facebook is actually the more likely acquire unless Google does it to prevent Facebook from buying Twitter. Right. Um, but to- that's really the the, the 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 two candidates. I did Josh Topolsky's podcast a couple of days ago, a week ago, tomorrow, and I, you know it's always fun doing a show with him, but. Cause I feel like we fight so much. Um, and, uh, we talked about this and I just said in broad terms, Facebook has been one of the things I'm surprised about in the last few years is that Facebook has been a very good steward of acquisitions. And Instagram is my favorite example because when Facebook bought Instagram, I thought, well, there goes a thing. I, you know, I really like Instagram. I'm sure it's going to go downhill and they're going to wreck it. And instead it's, They've more or less left it alone and let them evolve it in a way that's very natural to what Instagram set out to be from the get-go. Um, you know, if anything, all they've done is just add support, better better tech on the back end, you know, and they've let them grow very organically. Um, mm-hmm. And that Google is not so good as an acquisition, you know, that they, they hire a lot of things and wreck them. And some people pointed out to me that actually I, I may, I think I, maybe I'm overlooking that. And maybe I'm also overlooking the, the transition from Google to alphabet and that there's companies like nest that Google now alphabet acquired and has let stand alone as, as their own entity and let them be their own thing and not have to answer to, you know, the wall street on their own. And that maybe it would be, you know, don't think of it as a Google acquisition of Twitter, but think of it as an alphabet acquisition of Twitter and they let Twitter be Twitter. Um, but, t- but, alleviate- but the value is being a part of, yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, the, the value is being a part of Google though, because that's it. Cause you can't forget the money making part of it. Like the, 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 the ad part of it, unless Google wants it as like some sort of like fashion project. I mean, frankly, Facebook would be a better acquire. Um, like Facebook is an unbelievably well-run company. Uh, like and, and the acquisition points you made are part of it. Uh, they, Mark Zuckerberg, has been very explicit about how he thinks about growing and developing products, and where they get the product right first. They grow the user base only when it's at a certain level. Do they slowly figure out? Then they build a business presence, 
and then they monetize that business presence you know, in, in, in a way that makes sense. And it's easy to say, oh, well, it's easy for Facebook to do that because they're making money so they can afford to take their time with Instagram. They can afford to take their time with WhatsApp. But people forget that Facebook was under a lot of pressure after their IPO. Their, their stock was also down by like yeah. half. They, they were getting a ton of pressure and Facebook did not do the easy thing. They didn't just start slapping up ads. Right. Like they took time, they rebuilt their mobile, the, their entire mobile stack. They redid everything. They realized that they, they had taken the wrong approach with the HTML5 approach. They rebuilt it, made a great experience, got people on board, and then they figured out how to monetize it. And and, and they, again, it's the best digital ad unit we've ever seen. And and now it's just it's 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 a money spigot. And, and the point is, even when times were hard, they were disciplined and focused on getting the experience right first. And and like the, the company, like they 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 understand this space. They understand social. I think they'd be the best stewards of Twitter, um, as much as that rankles Twitter uh, and Twitter users in particular. Uh, but. I mean, who knows? Here's here. This to me is a sign of how run. And again, I say this, and I feel like I have an interesting position on it because it's somebody who does not use Facebook, um, but I do admire them, and I do recognize that they are a very well-run company. Dustin Curtis had a tweet last week. This is after everybody released earnings. I'm going to trust his numbers. I didn't double check them, so if there's an error here, I'll publish a correction next week. But I trust Dustin Curtis that he went through all these companies. You know the the. You know, the revenue, the the financial things that they filed last week. Um, and it's revenue per employee for calendar year 2015. Yahoo was 419,000. Twitter, 462,000. Microsoft, uh, almost double that, 789,000. Google, 1,161,000 per employee. Facebook, $1,412,000 per employee in revenue. Um, and then at the top of the pile was Apple with a little bit over 2 million in revenue right. per employee, um, which is a really, I mean, it's a, Facebook's closer to Apple than they are to Microsoft in revenue for employee. That is very true. And, uh, and they're well ahead of Google. Right. And they're growing like they, they're like their revenue was up like 40% last year or something. But so, that, I mean, they're, they're catching up. That to me is a really, really the, those numbers really fit with my gut feeling of how well run these companies are, you know, and, and how efficient they are, how well organized they are. Like whenever I hear about Twitter's headcount, I'm just blown away. Like yeah, 4,000 or something. Like and that. Well, that like just little things like I've heard and, I'm, and this might have been reduced recently, but at one point like last year that they had 100 iOS engineers and their iOS apps, quite frankly, are shit. I mean, maybe that's why, you know, there's, there's, there might be a very strong too many, yeah, yeah, and too many chefs spoil the, you know, stew or whatever the hell you're making. And, you know, the mythical, (laughs) I feel like we've butchered like five metaphors. We just butcher them all, you know, throw in a, uh, 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 what's his name's mythical man month month. uh, (laughs) Yes. You know, that a hundred iOS engineers really, it not only does it not get you a better app faster, it gets you a worse app. Um, but I, I, it's it's almost mind. And Instagram has like ten, right, or something like that. I, it's not a big. My understanding, at least, is that it's not a big uh, engineering crew at all. And at the right. very least, they at, up until the point where Facebook acquired them, their their engineering team was uh, easily fit around a conference table. Yep. 
really interesting numbers and that Facebook's numbers are really astounding. And if you think about it, it's not profit, it's revenue per employee. And that's where, you know, the one company that sticks out here is Apple because Apple's a hardware company. And so it is easier in some ways for Apple to generate revenue. And it's, you know, that there's a remarkable story with Apple's too big of a tangent to go into here, but that Apple's uh, profit is so high because their margins are so the, probably the most abnormal thing about Apple as a company. And there's a lot of things that are abnormal about Apple are their profit margins on, on hardware and yep. in, 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 in all of these industries, maybe other than watches where the, the margins are notoriously small, the margins are notoriously small in the PC market. They're notoriously small in the phone market. I mean, they're negative for some of these companies in the cell phone market. Um, but it is easier for Apple to generate just revenue because it's they're selling, you know, $800 phones and, and $1,500 MacBooks. Whereas uh, Facebook is making all that revenue on, you know, a buck or two at a time on these ad ad views. Yep. No, it, 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 no it, it, it's a remarkable stat. Um, uh, you actually just Dustin posted the profit per employee as well. Oh, did he? Uh, yeah, it's right below it. Uh, so Apple will start at the top. Apple ah. four four hundred and sixty five thousand per employee. Facebook second second again two hundred ninety thousand per employee, uh, which is again a fantastic number. Google two hundred fifty thousand per employee. Microsoft one hundred two thousand per employee. Yahoo fifty four thousand per employee, and Twitter negative one hundred thirty thousand per employee. <laughs> <laughs> really the problem bad. is Twitter's t- Twitter's ten years old in, right. in, in in a month. Like th- th- that's the problem. People think about oh, Twitter could do this. Twitter could do that. The, the could do should be happening when you're three years old or you're four years old, not when you're ten years old in a public company. It is true. I mean, I'd still kind of chalk them up as sort of a newbie. You know that you know like somehow Google is established. And Facebook, even though it's of a similar vintage, like it acts so mature right. that it it you give them credit for it. And there's some part of me that has been tricked into giving Twitter a little bit more slack on they'll figure it out. They're you know they're still new. Whereas yeah, it's true. I remember I started my Twitter account in 2006, so it's it's 10 years. Yahoo's just inexcusable. I mean, it's <laughs> it, I mean the more I think about it, the more I. I've rolled my eyes at the fact that the basic story of Yahoo's stock price is that it's entirely based on their holdings in Alibaba. And if you subtract what their holdings in Alibaba are worth, Yahoo's yep. worth nothing. Just there's no there is no value in that. stock. And I almost feel like I've rolled my eyes at that. Like, come on, lots of people still use Yahoo for stuff. And now I'm starting to think, you know what? I think the market has that exactly right. Yeah, well, it, I mean, there's there's just no there's no growth there at all. It's just shrinking. It, it's these numbers, are, the revenue and earnings are going down every single quarter, um, you know, the, of the core business. And uh, and you, they're they're probably going to be acquired by Verizon, um, which acquired AOL last year. Uh, AOL actually, instead of a misguided, the, the, the problem with Yahoo is Yahoo hired uh, Marissa Meyer uh, with the which doubled down on the core Yahoo problem, which was thinking that they were a tech company. Right. Yahoo's never been a tech company. Like Yahoo started with guys making a list of sites on a page. Right. I mean, like it, it, it's always been a media company um, from the beginning. And 
thinking that it was a tech company when it wasn't. Um, it's the, maybe the problem is that they hired the wrong people to to accelerate the growth as a media company. What was the guy? Yes. Who was the CEO Terry Siegel, right? A Hollywood yeah, guy. Semmel. Terry Semmel. Semmel. Yeah, I think Semmel. he. he yeah, no, I think he, he and that was the vision that he had. And I think that's one that would have made more sense. Um, but that's also you have to remember media companies are also all, all having trouble. So say even if they would have gotten it right, it's not clear that they would be. Uh, they, I mean, the, the Verizon acquisition makes sense. AOL, to their credit, spent a lot of money developing their programmatic advertising technology. You know, this is kind of like the. Um, the, the, the Android of ad buying relative to like Facebook, if Facebook's the iPhone or Google's the iPhone, uh, where your your target, and this is what really slaughtered newspapers and sites in general, right? It used to be you would buy, you, if you wanted to reach someone in Dayton, Ohio, you would buy an ad in the Dayton newspaper, right? right. Now you can just do a programmatic buy where you want to target someone that's in Dayton, Ohio, and you can do all these sorts of things. And you don't even know where your ad is going to show up. It's going to show up on on whatever site it might be. And this is a reason why web pages suck. I mean, we, we talked about this last summer um, because of this, like there's a misalignment where, where between the publishers and the advertisers and this sort of thing, but just so much more efficient um, to reach people that way. Uh, and, and so AL has a the technology their their Verizon has lots of interesting data about customers um, and, uh, and adding Yahoo just to add scale to that product makes sense. Um, I, I'm sure they'll pay some people will be shocked at how, how well the price will end up being. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I know I've mentioned this before too, but it's kind of a fascinating story, but the way that newspapers got squeezed at both ends, like where newspapers made fundamentally made most of their money in two ways at the very biggest ads, the full page ads that were in the a section of the newspaper like page three as a full page ad page five and six as a two page spread and, from, from and, Macy's and around the comics in the lifestyle section. Yeah. And then the other huge source of money were the tiny little text classified ads all the way in the bag of the newspaper. Cause it was two different things. The big ones up front was okay. Macy's has a lot of money and they want to tell everybody in Philadelphia that they're having a two day Memorial day sale. How do you tell everybody in Philadelphia you're having the sale? You put a two-page spread ad in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, the back of the the back of the newspaper ads were the reader is looking for a job. Where do you go to yep. look for a job? You go to the back of the Philadelphia Inquirer and you find a tiny little text ad that that uh, you know has a job listing. And the those classified ads were incredibly lucrative. The prices on yeah, them were most ridiculous. Expensive, most expensive ink in the world. Or, or and something. I and I and they used to price them super smart. I I when I worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, you know, I worked with the promotions or the the classified department. I used to do graphic design for the little promotional things where they would they would need like if they needed like a flyer for something or whatever. I'd do design work. Um, they were priced all over the place. So like a three, three lines of text in exact, you know, the classified ads are all just the same font. You don't get to style it at all. Although they would charge you extra if you wanted like bold. <laughs> right. Oh, totally. Right? So like a, a help wanted ad was super expensive. It might be like $150 for like a little three line help wanted ad in the Sunday Inquirer. But if you had, if you found somebody's wallet and wanted to just put like a lost and or you lost your wallet and you wanted to put like a little lost and found ad in, they would charge you like $7. They would just take like seven bucks for you to do it. But they had every ad was sold by a human being who transcribed everything. And they they very, very, very um, they were like uh, they were like the police to make sure that nobody tried to sneak a help wanted ad into the lost and found. 
Right. Just to get away. You know, it was like, right. oh, no way. You know, like, and they knew, exa- you know, each one was way more, exp- it was priced right at the pain point for anybody who wants to do something. Totally. And then, of course, that business just completely washed away. Nobody who's looking for a job now buys a Sunday newspaper. Yep. No, I, I, I'm young enough that I, I've found jobs through the classifieds. Um, oh, yeah. It was, the, it was the only way to find a job. And it was the it only was. way to, it was the only way to find a, an apartment. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, yeah, no, the newspapers are screwed. Um, there's, I mean, I guess the <laughs> only other way, the only other way you could find an apartment was to like walk through the, walk up and down the streets of Philadelphia and see if anybody had like a rooms for rent sign in front of their building. That was the only other way to, to yep. there wasn't anything else. No, it, it, we lived like savages. It's, <laughs> uh, let me take one more break and thank our final sponsor of the day. And it is our good friends at Fracture. Fracture is a company that prints photos directly onto glass. Colors pop like you won't believe, and it even comes on a solid backing that is ready to mount right out of the package. All you have to do is stick the included screw in the wall, and then you just hang it up, and you're done. So it's not like a photo that you then go buy a frame, put it in a frame, and hang the frame. It's everything you need to put it up on a wall uh, or for the smaller ones to like prop them up on your desk or on a mantle or something like that. It's all right there. In, in the packaging, it's like the actual thing that they ship the the glass in is you take it apart and there it is and it, you can hang it right on the wall. It's super, super clever and it looks super, super sharp because you don't have this border from a frame or any kind of mat around it. It's just the rectangle itself is just like edge to edge the photo. It is amazing. Uh, and the quality is really, really great. I can't – the ease of use is amazing because you don't have to like – stick your photo in a frame and get it to, to look square and all lined up and not uh, rotate slightly by like one degree as you close the frame up or anything like that. So there's a huge convenience factor, but there's also a factor, which is that it looks as good or better than any way of printing your photos that I've ever seen. It's really great quality and it's all really affordable too, with prices starting at just 15 bucks for the smallest uh, square size. Uh, they make great gifts and they are the perfect way to celebrate a shared memory with uh, any of your friends and family. And it's really, really a great idea as all of our photos are digital these days. Um, it really is, for me personally, it's it's just so great. And and it, I can't say it. You know, it's hard to put into words how great it is to take your very favorite photos of the people that mean the most to you and turn them into something analog, something that isn't uh, powered by a battery and doesn't glow. And it's just like a nice little artifact that you can do something with. Um, Each fracture is hand assembled and checked for quality by the small team in Gainesville, Florida that does this. Um, And if you need any other reason to buy one, you know, whether you're somebody who's already bought one before or, um, uh, if you've never checked them out, but you've heard me talk about them, you can get 10% off using the code TALKSHOW10, all one word, TALKSHOW10, TALKSHOW10, uh, and you will save 10% off any order, big or small, at FractureMe.com. So my thanks to them. Uh, what else do we have? What else has been going on? Well, I was on, I mean, I was on vacation last week, so I, so I missed some stuff, but there was... Um, uh, I mean, there's, there's earnings, which is I spend a lot of time on. Yeah, so we I might was, as well. I talked about it a little bit last week, but I, you know, it's it's it, interesting. Oh, the, like, well, well, Apple. I mean, I I have my um, I, I'm I'm a little bit ex- on a on a whim here, but I thought the Apple earnings were fine. Um, I think the the 
what I did, I, I did this in, in, a, in a daily update, but I went back and I charted uh, all or I put down all of Apple's earnings starting from I think 2010 on because I think that was no 2011 is when they changed. But basically, I did and no, I did the iPhone all the long, but I did annual earnings, so I did the monthly earned each year because it's hard to do quarter on quarter comparisons with the iPhone because Apple shifted when they launched it in 2011, and also China in particular in particular changed the dates, the quarters that it launched in. So I just did annual annual revenue and uh, and. and uh, annual revenue for 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 Apple, um, or for the iPhone specifically, hmm. and if you charted revenue from 2008 to 2014, and then you use that to forecast uh, to forecast 2015 and 2016, uh, Apple significantly outperformed uh, what you would expect them to in 2016. So their their earnings that they just reported 2016 quarter one were were what something like 20 billion or the revenue was like like some significant number i should probably open that <laughs> i wrote it all down uh was well above what you would expect it to be um the problem quote unquote problem was that the first quarter last year was so unbelievably massive it was like 50 or 60 billion more than you would expect or something like that right that it it the the year over year comparison they barely beat last year and actually if you look at the inventory numbers and the sell-through numbers they probably slightly slightly underform it was very close uh and they're going to underform next quarter uh and and i look at that and i don't buy the iphone has peaked narrative um I think that Apple, there was a one-time event that there was a combination of pulling sales forward, like people upgraded earlier than they would have. But if that was all that was happening, then the sales this year would have been significantly less than they were. Right. The fact that they managed to stay the same and if looking backwards were well above what you would have expected in 2014 suggests that they really did take a huge chunk of non iPhone customers. They had a bunch of new customers to Apple and uh, those customers, uh, Apple has fantastic retention numbers. People who buy an iPhone, buy another iPhone that suggests that the iPhone's growth is going to continue. Um, and so I think that this year, Apple, and I'm not, again, I'm not a stock, stock analyst. I say that a lot. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. Um, but I think it's going to be down this year because the year over year comparisons are going to be tough. But actually, I think that they're in a lot better shape than people think in that 2017 is going to be, is going to be a much better year uh, uh, for them. And I feel like they go through this on a regular cyclical basis because the last downturn was around sometime in calendar 2013. Uh, and it's like a year after Steve Jobs died and everybody was banging the drum on, you know, they're doomed without Steve Jobs. And Samsung was putting in record numbers. And there was this narrative that, uh, you know, and there was there was even a little bit of truth to it, which is that there was clearly consumer demand for big phones and Apple's biggest phone was four inches, which wasn't big. Um, so that was actually a true part of it. I mean, that even came out in the, the lawsuit where there was an email, um, I think from Phil Schiller that was like in, entered into evidence. But it said, you know, people want big phones and we don't have big phones right now. And. This narrative was that, you know, Apple's time at the top is over and Samsung's eating their lunch and the stock was really depressed. And then all of a sudden, you know, the 
the uh, iPhone six comes out and it's a huge hit and it's like, Oh, the Apple's back, but it's really, you know, it was all very predictable. It was, right. you know, they just sort of got their, their, the long time frame that they have to, to, you know, the downside of, wow, they sell 75 million phones in the first quarter when they're, that they've been made available is that the way that you can do that is by having the pipeline be like 18 months long. And they got caught behind that, the pipeline on when they could come out with a, a close to five inch phone and an over five inch phone was behind the, the market moved faster than they did. And there was an awe, but then the rumors came out and therefore there was also this uh, clearly a lawful lot of casual people, not people like us, you know, who go and check out MacRumors.com every day and see stuff like that. Um, but just normal people who are like, I hear Apple's coming out with a big phone. I'm going to wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the thing, the thing, the thing that where it's different now, I think those are all spot on and, and that year, 2014 was down a bit, um, relatively speaking, but they, the Apple was still growing, right? They're there. The difference now is, uh, it is an uh, objective fact that iPhone sales are flat and right. next quarter we're going to go down. So I, I think that the the narrative back then, I think, was fueled by this uh, misguided understanding of why Apple maintain, is able to maintain those margins and profits. And I think people are, are a little smarter about that now. I mean, th- that's where I really got, you know, got my start. Uh, you know, I wrote a big thing saying like why disruption advocates got Apple Apple so wrong. And actually one of my earliest pieces was predicting that Samsung was in for a big fall. Um, and I mean, but th- relatively speaking for people who understood Apple and how it worked, there was a little bit of shooting fish in the barrel. Right. Be- and the, and the numbers were on our side. Apple was still growing. The big difference now is, is objectively speaking, the numbers are going down, but you can't ignore the fact that like, <laughs> Last year was so unbelievably extraordinary. I mean, the numbers were just off the charts. And uh, and it, it, on one hand, it's going to always be hard to compare to other numbers. But if you take out that one year, this year is still better than would be expected. And I think that's that key point is, is being missed. Um, and so, yeah. So like what you're saying, let's just say we take out the 2015 numbers. We take them out. And we leave in 2012, 13, 14. Yep. 15's a blank. And now we go and we show the first of 2016. And then we say, now you draw an imaginary line for where you think 2015 went based on what you saw at the end of 2014 and where we are now. And you'd probably just draw like this. It looks like a real nice slope. Yeah, I have the exact numbers, actually. If you do, if you forecast linearly from 2008-2014, then 2015 you would have expected to sell uh, 200 million. If you do logistic regression, like an S-curve, which it actually the data would suggest, um, then you would expect 178 million. Uh, Apple actually sold 230 million. So they, <laughs> they, they exceeded what you would have forecast by 30 to 50 million iPhones. Which would have like, been like a really strong quarter, <laughs> like an entire really good that's quarter. More iPhones, that's more iPhones than they sold in 2010. Right, and like, it's more it than was, they sold in any quarter other than the holiday quarter. Right, I, think. I mean, it was in, it was insane, and 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 <laughs> it's like they just added a quarter to their calendar. Yeah, in, in 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 a single quarter, and so if you did that same sort of thing, and you projected again, you only had data up twenty fourteen. You said, "Oh, what do you think is going to be in twenty sixteen? Again, if you do a linear, uh, which uh, it'd be two hundred and thirty million. 
if you do a linear regression, uh, um, it would be a uh, oh, sorry, a logistic regression. It would be a 184 million because sales were it looked like they were peaking and, and they were flattening out in 2014. Um, Apple is on pace to sell about 230 million. So either they're right on track with growth if you use linear or they're vastly exceeding it if you think that growth had peaked in 2014. Regardless, the, the fact of the matter is like there's there's actually not much evidence that the, the only way this story makes sense is if Apple got a bunch of new customers like in 2015 in a one time event. And it's like, well, is there any explanation for that to happen there? In fact, I'm glad you asked. There is. They got, finally got big screen iPhones and. 4G really came online in China is the other real big factor. Yeah, yeah, and uh, China uh, basic economy. I mean, I know it's it's not having a good time right now, but in the grand scheme of things, though, it's doing well. Yeah, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, there, there's there's hundreds of millions of people entering the middle class. I mean, like right. the scale of China is 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 hard is hard to comprehend. It's but it's it's. It's very large. Tim, actually, this is a point of satisfaction. Tim Cook now always quotes this McKinsey study about uh, about the number of middle class people coming in China, which he never quoted uh, until uh, until a, a earnings call a couple of quarters ago. And I happen to have included it in a daily update before then, so I don't I don't think he read it, but I like to think that someone found the link and then and then for it's been in every, it's been in every earnings call ever since. <laughs> it's like a, it's it's a relatively obscure study. Um, but that's how I, that, that's how I put myself to bed at night. Um, so here's an iPhone related thing, and I wanted to I, I knew I wanted to shoot it past you and see what you have to say. Um, a reader, let me try to paraphrase it. Is let's a let's let's accept that the rumors about next month's new iPhone are true. That there's a new four inch model that supposedly called the five SE. Uh, who that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, but. Let's just a say Apple's, a lot of Apple's names don't. Yeah. Um, and it's four inches and it has the specs more or less of an iPhone six, meaning it has an a uh, wait, what are we up to? The six S eight. Yeah. Six S has an a nine processor. So that's the state of the art it has. So what it has is an a eight processor. Um, the current five S the four inch phone that you could go in and buy today has uh, as the a seven that was the, the first 64 bit a seven. Um, so it goes to an a eight processor and it has a camera roughly equivalent to the iPhone six. Uh, it's more or less like a four inch version of the iPhone six mm-hmm. and it'll probably sell for a, you know, same price point, a hundred dollars less. Um, so the question from the reader is, have they backed themselves into a corner and they have to use this year old um, A8 processor and camera specs because they have to hit this $100 less than the iPhone 6 price slot? Or is this was this part of... like Have they painted themselves in a corner or have they deliberately chosen to set up that corner because that's what they wanted all along? Uh, I, I mean, I think that there's the idea of of having the better specs and the more expensive phone. I think. Oh, you mean the readers asking why don't they make a a right. full price six hundred fifty dollar five inch or four inch phone? Right. I think that that what's underlying the the question the the, the because the they've question. always priced by size, right? Sort of thing. Yeah. 
And I think uh, the, that it speaks to people's that there's some number of people out there who really still want a four inch phone, but they also want that the top of the line specs. Yeah, there's probably an aspect to that. I mean, Apple Apple has always gone for the sort of like easy to explain pricing. You know, like iPods were, you know, or even iPhones by by memory, right? Like, which is <laughs> right. which is very easy to explain and very profitable. Um, uh, it and doesn't the, make a lot of sense given <laughs> it doesn't make any sense right. at all. It makes a ton of sense, actually. Well, it makes a ton of sense from perspective because right, but it doesn't make sense that it's being priced. Uh, I'm not even fairly is not quite the right word, but but in, in commensurate with the price of the components. Right. Well, and this is something people always get tripped up on, right? I mean, a price is what the market will bear. It has nothing right. to do with what goes into, you know, what goes into the products. I think that's. I think that's probably. Uh, Yes, I think you could look at it that Apple's in a corner in that they, given the way they do their pricing, um, it should be less and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, that said, um, I, th- I think it's fair. I think it's a fa- it's a fair thing to say, but I think it also fits their strategy. I mean, yeah, I don't think that they found themselves here accidentally, though, and that they're like. Ooh, you know, like the, you know, like the the analogy of painting yourself in a corner is that you turn around and you realize, oh, I did not leave myself a way out here, and you didn't think about it when you got started. I think they knew exactly what they were doing, and they know that yes, that this means that anybody who wants a four inch phone with top of the line specs does not get that. But right, I, I just don't, I, why are they launching it in the spring? That's kind of weird. Was it just not ready, or I well, here? I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you one thing. That I think that's interesting. I think that Apple did have the strategy to um, – because a big th- when they did the 5C, um, the 5C was cheaper to produce than the 5 was. That was that – was, I don't think that was any question. That was an important part of it. And I think – I suspect Apple wanted to keep the 5C around longer than they did. Yeah. Um, but I think what Apple learned from that is that it didn't – it screamed that this is not this is a cheap iPhone, right? Yeah. It was obviously a cheap iPhone. You could, if, whereas if you bought a the four hundred fifty dollar iPhone, the lowest one that was available, no one knew if that was you bought it because it was a cheap iPhone or you, or you it was just your expensive iPhone that was two years old or one year old or whatever, right? But it, right. it was still an iPhone. The five C was never an iPhone in the way that every other iPhone has been an iPhone because it was never the flagship, and. Uh- Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. And so I think Apple wants to – I think that there's things to lend itself to the 5C strategy. It was cheaper to produce. Um, you know, they're using components that have – that they've all the way up the learning curve. They're producing them super cheaply. I think they want that from an operational perspective. They want to go lower market. I think they would like to have like a $350 phone for like India, for example. Um, but they But they've learned they need to retain the – this is an iPhone sensibility. I think they're trying to figure that out. I suspect that's that goes into the five the SE and they're trying to find the right balance where how can we get all the benefits of building a phone from scratch to be cheaper as yeah. opposed to just using an expensive phone and, and, and selling it forever, but still maintain the this is the iPhone sort of aura. I think that the timing is exactly on plan, and I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think it's because at the low end, at the high end, these phones very consistent. Ever since they moved to releasing them in September instead of late June or early July, um, they have a, a, an almost clockwork twelve-month cycle. They like ever since they moved to September, it's the exact same week of September 
that they have the event somewhere around September 10th. And then they come out 11 days later, like the 21st or something like that, which within a week, every single year, it's 12 months. You have a 12 month clock ticking on top of the line. Yep. The bottom of the line does not have a 12 month cycle right now. The five S has been there for 18 months or it's been or no, out uh, more than that. Right? 30 months. Well, that, yeah. but it's been at the, the spot where it's at for, Oh, got it. Got it. Okay. Right. Uh, uh no, six months it, because it was the five C the five C was sold until oh. last of September. Well, I just yeah. Well, no, but your point, your point holds. The, no, no. I th- well, I think I, I don't know. Well, anyway, my point is that I think that this new phone that they're coming out with in March, they expect to be there for at least eighteen months. It'll be there for a long time. Or I agree. I agree. No, I. I that's exactly what I was trying to say. I think they want to go below the four fifty price point. Yeah. Um. I think it's going to be there. I think there. the five C was supposed to do that, but they it was a flop, and so this is the second attempt at it. I'm curious, still curious. Very, I, I'm really curious about this event next month. I'm more more interested in it than any event in the last year, I think, because I have no idea how they're going to sell this stuff. Because to me, it's it, the rumors are of stuff that could easily be released by press release. You yeah. know, it's there's if, here. Here's a you know camera quality you've seen before and performance quality that you've seen before in a size that you've seen before. And I think it's an important part of the product lineup to have it there. And I know that part of the reason that they're doing this is it is a nicer phone at four inches than the current 5S. And it fits their overall strategy because now this one will work with Apple Pay. And the 5S, mm-hmm. that does have Touch ID, but it does not support Apple Pay. So now they've got an entire lineup of phones that supports Apple Pay. And, uh, you know, and I think it can be on the market for a while. And they don't have to distract from last September's Hey, here's the brand new 6S and 6S Plus, and we have to take five minutes and tell you about this thing that we're not even that excited about. Um, oh. And they don't have to do it again this September when they have this iPhone 7, which, you know, who knows what it's going to do and who knows what the selling points will be. But they don't have to mention it. All they have to do is the only time it'll get mentioned is at the very end when they talk about pricing and they'll say uh, this the 7 yep. Plus starts at this price. The 7 starts $100 less at this price and $100 less. Here's the, you know, we still have the uh, 5 SE or 6 we'll be at, What will be fascinating to see is will the iPhone 6 still exist next September? Right. right. Yeah, will, that's will a good question. Will it be 7, 6S, and 5 SE? Right. Uh, and I, I think, I do think that's where they want to go. Like, right, I, I think that they might they be what rather, they right, right, they would rather have the low-end phone be built to be a low-end phone. Because there's like if you build it from scratch, you, you you again using known technologies, but I bet you can produce it cheaper. They can and they can build it to be a phone that's meant to go even further down market. And I wouldn't be surprised if a year later, then you have the seven S, the seven, the um, and then a new like a six SE, yeah, and then and you still have the five SE. I really think they want to go below that four fifty price point. Um, they just have to. It, it just needs to be an iPhone. Yeah. And I kind of feel like they, they, you know, and again, everything gets old and slow at some point, but I kind of feel like a eight with a 64 bit CPU, uh, and the NFC for touch ID, I mean, for Apple, Apple pay with touch ID, that it's a camera that, that, that could remain relevant as the, as the price point slowly dips over the next 18 months to 24 months, it'll still be a credible phone. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, anything else? Did you see that yeah. while we were recording, they came out with uh, the 
Twitter has a new feature that was rumored that they're going to let you have a setting that you can flip that will uh, show you tweets that they think are relevant to you at the top of your timeline. Yeah, I I, I I tried to get I I haven't gotten the setting on my account yet. Yeah. I don't know if that's because I'm international. Uh, Jack Jack's tweet says just keep hitting refresh. Just keep refreshing. It's like just keep oh. refreshing until you get the setting. Um, that's funny. Uh, the yeah, I mean we'll see. I mean it, it's it's opt in for now. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be it opt out. Uh, after a few weeks, after yeah. they do some testing, um, I, I like while you were away. Personally, yeah. um, I, I've I, I long ago gave up on reading all my tweets. Um, no, yeah, me too. And I think people who read all their tweets, you probably use third party clients anyway, because try to read all your tweets in the in the regular Twitter client is a hopeless cause because it doesn't save its spot. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, I, I think I think I I think it's fine, and it would have been sorely needed seven, eight years ago. Um, I think they need to be careful about losing what they have now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's again, I, I like comparing, I like the newspaper comparison again, because newspaper news is more widespread and popular and, and value and work valuable than it has ever been. And Twitter, like we, the reason we talk about Twitter, like the amount of verbiage spent on Twitter relative to its importance in like the, from a business perspective or all that sort of stuff is way out of whack, but it's so it, it, I love it. I know you love it. And it's so much part of a fabric of everything of, of particularly politics and sports. I'm a huge NBA fan and NBA Twitter is amazing. It's, yeah, it's it really like this is. whole, it's really the best, the, like the, the, the best possible manifestation of what Twitter could be. But again, it's almost, it's hard to get into You figure out who to follow. You get, you get all the, all, all the things in, in order. Um, but man, how do you like? Just how do you make? How do you make money off that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let Facebook figure it out. <laughs> uh, ben Thompson, thank you for your time. Uh, I'm blown away. I don't know about you. I've, I mean, you're just for people who don't know. We're recording from Philadelphia and Taipei. <laughs> I know. So it's it's twelve thirty noon and, here. And, and we were talking about in our lives, we had to find jobs by reading three, three line, tiny bits of text in the back of the newspaper. Right. It is what, like one thirty a.m. in yeah, Taipei. And this Skype call has had zero latency. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's I just, even if it fell apart now, I could just stop the recording and we could have to just have the show. But I'd, so I don't even have to knock on wood. But I'm actually kind of blown away at the living in the future aspect of the recording of this episode of the show. People can find your stuff at the excellent stratechery.com. Uh, you could also probably just Google Ben Thompson and it's going to take you right there. Yeah. Uh, and your Twitter account is uh, Ben Thompson at Ben Thompson at Ben Thompson and, yeah, and, and uh, uh, podcast exponent exponent.fm. Yeah. If you like the sound of Ben's voice, if you go to exponent.fm, uh, there's a pretty good podcast right there. Thank you for your time and thank you for uh, for your insight. Oh, it's always a pleasure. If you think you have IBS with diarrhea, talk to your doctor about New Zyfaxin.